This is the Everything is Black and White podcast, brought to you by Chronicle Live, bringing you the latest insight on everything to do with Newcastle United. You can find us on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or most podcast providers. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for our second episode of Newcastle United on Popular Opinions. I'm Andrew Musgrove and I'm joined by Stu Jameson. We're both working from homes um, because of the coronavirus, so uh, the quality of the sound might not be as good as last week, but we hope you enjoy the quality of this podcast. We're going to jump straight in, Stu, um, and I've got the first unpopular opinion of this week from Peter, who says, Rafa Benitez got too much credit for his work in the transfer market and pinpoints Sells, Hanley and Murphy as examples um, of why he did indeed get too much credit in his opinion. Well, I, I mean, I think you can you can always point to any transfers that a manager does when he's at a club for a, a length of time. Obviously, Rafa was here for for what three seasons or nearly three years in total. Um, and when he that summer, his first transfer window, he did have to do a major rebuild of the club. There was a a lot of players left. He had to bring a lot in. He signed twelve players that summer. You're going to get some wrong, and you're going to get some right. I think you can probably, yes, you can probably say the likes of Grant Hanley, Matt Sells didn't work out. Um, there's also, I guess, people like Lazar didn't really work out for them. But then you can look at players like Matt Ritchie that he signed. Yeah, he brought Dwight Gale in last summer. Um, people like Modi Arme, who I guess he had a new lease of life at Newcastle. And I think that, that sort of weighs up the balance for you, doesn't it? it? He didn't spend a fortune on those players that we're talking about. Um, so, I mean, any any manager, I mean, Kevin Keegan got, got signings that just didn't work out. Um, he had to throw a lot of money at the at the squad. Had to bring a lot of players in. You're going to get some right, and and I guess he could. Rafa might point out that if they'd had major injuries at the back, someone like Grant Handy would have played a lot more games. They didn't have to. Darren Murphy, for example, it wasn't a huge expensive signing. Didn't particularly need him as much, but if they'd had a few more injuries, they would have needed Darren Murphy a lot more than they did. So things worked out all right in the end, and I think he got the job done. That was the main thing. I guess with some of them names, you look at Hanley, it was getting someone that had the experience of the championship, someone who knew just how tough it was, probably in the in the Premier League. And I know Grant Hanley's there now with Norwich, but you do get more cultured centre-backs and probably what Rafa Benitez wanted more than anything was someone who's experienced uh, the second tier. And the same with Darrell Murphy, who's not included in the list here that Peter sent in, um, but he's probably in the same bracket for, for many. But obviously, Murphy scored, Darrell Murphy scored, a lot of um, important goals, or a few important goals for Newcastle. Um, Jacob Murphy, Murphy on the other hand, I think is the Murphy he's referring to. Um, and he, obviously, 13 million. He's gone out on loan several times. He's still young enough to make an impact, but you're looking at uh, Jacob Murphy and you're thinking, when when will his time come? He hasn't pulled up trees at Sheffield Wednesday this season. Is time running out for him at Newcastle United, do you think? It, it's hard to see with and getting another goal, really, isn't that? I mean, he had the chance to a short time to to impress Steve Bruce in the summer and didn't really do that in the, in the preseason games. Um, yeah, I think he's one that you could probably look at. And the likes of Yoshinori Muto, of course, who, who Benitez brought in, who probably haven't delivered anywhere near what they should have done compared to the price tag. I think when it came to, to Benitez, he, was, he obviously knew what he wanted. And if he wasn't going to get that person, he went down his own list to, to the second target, third target, fourth target, instead of perhaps looking elsewhere. Um, other players that other people had recommended, perhaps the, the scouting team at the club, 
um, which I think sometimes meant that Newcastle got a player that was that everyone knew wasn't really good enough. I think Rafa Baez or the mission probably thought he wasn't good enough because he's fourth choice on the list. Um, and I think Murphy obviously played played well against Newcastle for Norwich uh, in that famous four three game. He was involved with that. Um, but we've just never we've seen it once every now and again. He did that game away at Everton um, last season when he set up a goal for Rondon. Ex- superb explosive pace, great cross. But how many times have we seen that really in the Newcastle shirt? Hardly ever. And the fact that he's, he's doing okay at Chef Wed, that's great. But I think it shows he's hardly pulling up trees in the Championship either, really. So I think those two are, are prime examples of where he got it wrong. But as I say, I think it's probably could quite rightly point that loads of times when he got it right in the transfer as well. Indeed, you could probably name quite a few, but one that crops up as one who was let go was Alexander Mitrovic. Where do you stand on letting him leave? Because obviously he is pulling up trees in the championship and how they could do with someone who knows where the back of the net is now. Yeah, he's doing very well for Fulham now, you can't argue with that. He didn't do badly in the Premier League last year with Fulham, but probably not spectacular, to be fair. I was fully behind letting him go. I thought he was a good young player in the in the Premier League in that first season when he signed under Steve McLaren and I thought he'd be someone that Rafa could bring get the best out of especially in the championship I thought he would he would just destroy defences in the championship and he really didn't he didn't I mean obviously Dwight Gale was was ahead of him in the pecking order but Mitrovic got plenty of chances to to really show what he was about uh, and and I felt personally I felt he didn't really do that there was that perfect example away at Wolves where he'd scored the goal and they had to take him off at half time because he was going to get himself sent off uh, and I, I don't really think he can be having that, and, and certainly someone like Rafa would not be happy with that. Um, so at the time, I thought they got a very good deal from. I think they made a profit on them, didn't they? Um, yes, he's doing well for Fulham, and and would, he would actually probably fit into the Newcastle side quite well, wouldn't he? With a someone to lead the line, good uh, central target man. Um, but no, I, I think that the decision at the time was right, and sometimes you just got to shrug your shoulders and move on from them. Indeed, and just to finish off on Benitez and transfers. If you could pick one incoming transfer, the one you would hold up to say hey, Rafa Benitez got it right, which one would it be? Um, I, for me, it'd be Matt Ritchie. Um, not a player we knew a huge amount before he came, um, but he managed to persuade him to come to Newcastle, step down in division, of course, at the time. Um, so all of the, the, the ambition of what he had for the club. Um, and he was a huge force for Newcastle doing well in the, in the Championship that first season, and he's a big driving force in the dressing room now. Um, I think about three years on now, Newcastle are still benefiting from having Matt Ritchie at the club. Um, they played, what, about £12 million, I think, for him, which now, I mean, for a Premier League player of his quality, I think that, that's a bit of a bargain, really. So the verdict then, what are we saying? Are we agreeing with Peter that Rafa Benitez gets too much credit for the work done in the transfer market? No, sorry, Peter. I think, you know... Yes, he's got some wrong, but I think overridingly he, he got too many rights to uh, to say he gets too much credit. There we have it. On to the second one then, and it is off Dean. And I have to admit, when I read this, I did send a gif of a surprised gentleman. I think it was maybe an office gif. Um, it was of Steve Carell literally shouting no, because Dean's opinion, unpopular opinion, is that Shea Given was an average keeper. Now, the way I've introduced that, you can probably tell what my view is on that. Uh, Stu, Shea Given, an average goalkeeper? Oh, I dread to think that Newcastle would have been if without Shea Given and all those uh, those Premier League years, um, sort of post Sir Bobby, when they were in decline, Given kept them out of trouble year after year. Um, I mean, that classic game against Liverpool when they got absolutely hammered. 
I think the Colts is a six, and without given that it could have been twenty that day, he was just an incredible goalkeeper. Not the biggest, although he wasn't. He's not quite as small as people think, but he was just superb. He could he could do everything. Superb shot stopper. He could command his box. He had the command of his defence. He knew what he was doing every time. No, he's he's absolutely top class. He's played so many games for Ireland, um, and then I guess a good sign of that is that when Manchester City got started getting a bit of money, started spending money on players. First goalkeeper they turned to was uh, was Shea Given. He was absolutely superb servant in Newcastle. Um, I don't think anyone could argue that, can they? No, I don't think so. And he pulled off some some fantastic saves. I think, like you say, the Liverpool game is the is the memory that really does stick in everyone's heads because it would have been a cricket score. I mean it was nearly a cricket score but it would have been even more so had given not been on his on his on his day um there. And it suffered a horrific injury against West Ham as well, I think it was aching to a um a car crash when when the studs hit him in the afternoon. And to come back from that and still be such a good player in his prime in the Premier League against some of the world's best strikers just goes to show just just how much talent Shea Given really had. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the club um, tweeted out a, a little collection of his best saves for Sir Patrick's Day recently. Now, obviously, anyone can good look, good, look good on a highlight reel, but really, there were some absolutely superb saves. It was a good sort of five-minute-long highlight reel, uh, and they could have kept going. I'm sure they could have doubled that quite easily. Um, he was just superb, brilliant shot. So, and look, he, he kept a goalkeeper like Steve Harper, who's you know a pretty decent goalkeeper. He kept him out the side for for years and years in Newcastle. So again, that, that's another sign of, of how good he was and how few games he missed. He really was there all the time. Uh, only £1.5 million he cost Newcastle. One of the good things Kenny Daglish actually did for the club was to bring Shea Given in. Uh, in today's market, you would be talking £60, £70 million perhaps for Shea Given in his prime, you know, on the top of his game. Yeah, he was, he was definitely... Oh, I mean, there were some great goalkeepers in that in the Premier League round of that era that the likes of David Seaman... But given was consistently in the top three, I would say for a good what six or seven years spell, um, that consistency as well was was what really made him top class for me. Well, certainly, I guess another uh, kind of indication of just how well respected he is, and this obviously isn't anything really to do with his game, but obviously really good friends with Alan Shearer, plays golf with him, etc. And you get the feeling Alan doesn't really let just anybody into that inner circle. No, I think that is a valid point, that, you know, because he bought into the club, he bought into the fan base in the North East, um, he understood what everything was about, put his heart and soul into, into playing, but also, you know, he was, he was a big part of the North East community, he did a lot of charity work, I know, in the in the North East and, and still continues to do so wherever he is, um, so I think fans respected him as well, and I mean, obviously it always helps that you knew what you were getting on the pitch with him, he very rarely made mistakes, which for a goalkeeper is, is massive, isn't it? You mentioned there the mistakes, and um, we will have to mention, though, unfortunately, and I'm sorry, Shea, for doing this, that um, that one against Coventry, when Dion Dublin uh, came back onto the pitch and, and nicked the ball off him, you know, obviously the joke is Shea Gibbons only the only Irishman who doesn't know where Dublin is. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone was trying to simulate in the park so for the next sort of month afterwards, weren't they? But it, it, that's a one-off. It's like, I think you didn't see it before, you don't really see it afterwards. I think... Um, Crosby at Nuts Forest tried it as well once, didn't he? But you don't really see that anymore. And it was just a bit unlucky for Shea, that one. But, yeah, if that's his one, then you can forgive him that. And just there, uh, you mentioned there uh, the amount of appearances that he made. In total, league and cup games, he made 462 appearances. Now, Jimmy Lawrence's record 
stands at 4.96. So he was very close to breaking that record, which I suppose at the time he left, he wanted to go win win trophies, and that obviously wasn't going to happen at Newcastle. Obviously, the season after that, they were they were, they were relegated. So it was probably the right time for him to leave. But I think every time he comes back and he visits, you know, and he's always got good things to say about Newcastle and the fans, and he's he's held in in very high regard. Yeah, I think that's another good sign, isn't it? I mean, nobody begrudged him a move at the time. I think everyone was saying fair enough. He probably should have gone a few seasons earlier, really. Um, yeah, that that I think that underlines what the fans thought of him. It's not often that you get a player can leave the club and still be held in such high esteem, but but given managed to do that, I think so. That's a testimony to to his abilities as a goalkeeper. So the verdict then, Shea given as an average keeper? Nah, I'm not having it. Throw that one in the bin. Gone. <laughs> Throw that one in the bin. Nice and simple. We hope you've enjoyed this episode so far. Just a quick reminder to please subscribe and review to our podcast through iTunes, Spotify, or whichever podcast provider you listen through. On to the third one then, the third of five. And this is another one which I'm sorry um, to Dave who sent this in. I'm not going to agree with you, Dave, on this one. Even before we start, Stu might be a bit different. I'm not going to try and guess what he's going to say at this. But um, Dave says he's not a fan of Matt Ritchie. And he questions, other than the passion, what does he actually bring? He didn't deserve uh, to extend his deal at the club. Well, has Richie been at his best this last so year? Perhaps not. Um, but I think you haven't got to forget that, that he answered the call when Benitez asked him to go play a left wing back, which, if you think about it, is the complete opposite to the role he played for most of his career as, as a right winger. Um, I know uh, Rafa was famous for standing on the touchline and literally just barking at Richie about his positional sense throughout the whole set last, his last six months at the club, really. Um, but he did that. He didn't complain. Never once complained about playing left wing back, which obviously curved his attacking abilities, his abilities to put crosses in the box. And he just got on with this. Now, obviously, he had a horrendous injury at the start of this season, which kept him out for best part of four or five months from August through to early January when he just came back in the, in the FA Cup game at Rochdale I think was the first time he came on as a sub um, and Newcastle missed him terribly during that time I think um, I would like to see him play back in his advanced role in the wing now they've got Danny Rose obviously um, Jetro Williams was brought in the summer as well to do that job um, and I think that should enable uh, Richie to play in the more attacking role because I think that's what he does bring yeah he brings the passion that's great but you know, any countless number of fans would bring passion if they play for Newcastle. Does make them good enough, does it? But you've got the ability to to pick across free kicks, set pieces. Although we're not, should probably should mention penalties right at the minute. Um, I think that's something that not many other players can offer really in this Newcastle side. I don't know what you think, Andrew. Um, and I mean, where does he fit into that side though? If he does indeed push up into a, a more attacking role, because we have. Uh, obviously, Bruce has a wealth of options um, up top. You would imagine it would be Alan St. Maxwell and Almiron, Joe Linton, if he could find his form. So where does Matt Ritchie fit in well, to that a, more attacking role? Yeah, that, that is a good question. And I think recently, having seen Almiron play through a more central role, that would possibly... Um, we've seen Lazaro play right wing against um, West Brom in the FA Cup. He played more of an attacking right-sided role with Almiron or St. Maxwell behind the striker. Uh, obviously, Richie could fit into that role. If they're just playing three up top, 
I think it's a good question. But what it does do is it gives competition. I mean, at the minute, Almiron, and, or, or certainly for most of the season, Almiron and St Maxim have had literally no challenges for their first team players. Christian Atsu, to be fair, is usually be on the bench and comes on if one of them is tired. That's, that's, that's the extent of it. So to have a player like Matt Ritchie there, who you think, hang on a second, if, if I come off and he comes on, he, he, could, he could be a match winner here and I don't get my place back. We haven't had that for a while for Newcastle up front. Um, so I think that that's, that's his role now. Um, Richie's someone who will get on with that job and, and not complain. If he's on the bench some weeks, he's going to make sure he takes his chance um, when he gets it. So I think it's a fair point. Where does he play? But that's, I, I would have him as, as, the, as the right winger at the minute and, and make the others compete. Ideally with Almiron through a, a central sort of number 10 role. It's interesting that you mentioned before Rafa Benitez barking orders at Matt Ritchie. It's turned in a way because now, at the start of this season, since he's come back in, you watch him and sometimes the stadium's been a little quiet and all you can hear is Matt Ritchie just barking and barking at the players. I think a lot of the players have done the, the Toon Tombola in the, the Match Day programme. Program. One of the questions is often, who's mo- most likely to start a fight? And it's always Matt Ritchie that gets picked. He could probably start a fight in an empty room, I think. But it's that passion that he channels through and he sets the bar for himself. And no one's allowed to drop below that bar on the pitch. When he was injured, you saw him in the, in the press box and you know he was, he, was, he was kicking every ball and he was you know, doing exactly the same. It's that passion and that. I think really do think that um, the communication on the pitch or whether you're in the stands out injured or on the bench waiting for your chance to get on, that communication is so important. And uh, to have another leader like Richie is vital to where Newcastle need need to go and what they need to achieve, which unfortunately at the moment is Premier League survival. Yeah, it's important. It's, it, he's part of a strong dressing room. Um, it's a difficult balance to strike because obviously the manager has to be in charge. Um, and I think the club have, have felt before that the dressing room got too strong under, under Chris Hewton, um, rightly or wrongly. Um, but I think it's important to have strong personalities in your dressing room because if it's just the manager telling everyone all the time, then that message can get a bit tired or the here we go again type of thing. So if you've got individual players who, who Bruce knows you can turn to to you know, to, to tell players what, what he thinks every now and again, which I'm sure Richie will not hold back from, I think that's a really positive thing as well. And I think they'll probably possibly miss that in the dressing room as well, never mind just on the pitch. Well, I think we already know the answer to this, but let's get the verdict in then. Are we uh, agreeing that Matt Ritchie didn't deserve a new deal? No, not at all. Yeah, I agree, not at all. I would probably give him the keys to the city because that's how much of a fan I am. Um, and Matt, if you ever want to come on the podcast, here's the begging letter. On to the fourth opinion then. This one comes in from Ian, who says, if Kevin Keegan had not dropped Lee Clark to give David Batty his debut against Manchester United, Newcastle would have won the Premiership in 1996. Now, of all the reasons to why Newcastle didn't win the Premier League. I've not heard that one before. Stu, you, you, your view on that? Well, it, yeah, it's an interesting point. It's, it's usually attributed to um, Tino Spree's rivalry, isn't it? Because that changes sort of attacking shape. Although, again, to be fair, most of the people involved dismiss that as well. Um, strangely, it's what everyone was crying out for at Newcastle at the time. Obviously, it wasn't a defender, but it was someone defensive-minded. You can sort of break up attacks from the other side. You know, it was the classic, you know, you score three, we score four. And it was trying to stop the opposition from scoring that many and enabling that platform for Newcastle to go on an attack. So I think Batty's signing was was a pretty astute one, to be fair. 
uh, and one which we know Keegan was desperate to get over the line. Did it disrupt that team a lot? I, I don't know. I, I think that it's, it's almost two different points, isn't it? I think Batty was an excellent signing, but should Lee Clark have, have made way? Because obviously Clarkie was a, a cracking player for Newcastle. Had played a big part in the club coming back from the, the brink in the old second division to being one of the uh, most liked teams in the Premier League. Excellent player. Great engine on him, but obviously brilliant ability as well. You know, could pick a pass all day and he could run all day for the team as well. Um, so perhaps it's probably it's possibly fair to say that having Clark out that side maybe he's disrupted the balance a bit. I, I think it's unfair to say Batty did because I think Batty probably added a lot of what Newcastle needed at the time. But, you know, Clark was a really good player. Um, should he have featured more on that side? Well, I guess who'd, who would drop out? Um, Rob Lee, Peter Beasley? No. Ferdinand, obviously not. Gillespie, Ginola, no. <laughs> They're not going to drop out particularly, aren't they? Um, so it's, it's it's a difficult call to make, uh, and you can see why Clark was the one to make way for Batty. I suppose that Batty had a difficult job in many ways because he was brought in as the one who would shore up things, the kind of, uh, maybe the, even the Isaac Hayden of today's squad, the one that doesn't grab the headlines, but... You know he can he can go in with a hard challenge. He'll he'll pick the ball up and and start um, an attack forward or just even hoof it into the stands. And when you're doing that among players like Ginola or Gillespie or Fernand and Beardsley, who are just attacking, attacking, attacking. Um, he, I mean, it was a pretty much an impossible job, wasn't it? Yeah. Um... It it was, and and that's why everyone said they needed someone like that. They, they, they said you know Darren Peacock was the only defender left when Philip Albert would hair up the field and John Barris would hair up the field and Steve Watson and Warren Barton would hair up the field. So I think they were identifying that and trying to get a a midfield fulcrum to uh, to, to sort of pivot around. Um, and Batty had an excellent record um, with Leeds and Blackburn. Um, so it was a great signing for me. It was a great signing. It just meant that another great player was slightly marginalising in Clark, really. Um, but, you know, Batty went on to play quite a lot of games for the club. Um, interesting fella, someone you would love to interview now, but obviously he's, just, he's not, has no interest in football whatsoever. Although he, he was said at the time he had no interest whilst he was playing as well, other than the, the game he was playing, which was, uh, I find, remarkable. But um, I love David Batty when he was at Newcastle. I thought he was great. And he managed to get a, a profit out of him as well, if I'm not mistaken. 4.4 million, they ended up, ended up selling him on to Leeds. Um he made 83 appearances for Newcastle, so he was only here for just over a couple of years. Uh, your verdict then, Stu, on that unpopular opinion was I, I, I don't I don't know if this I don't know if the opinion is it, it looks like it's directly linked to that one game which everyone talks about. That I, I'm assuming it's that one nil um, when Cantona got the winner. Um, like you say, it's probably it needs an it needs a verdict split into two, really, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I think should Newcastle side David Batty, yes. Should Lee Clark have played more, I would also agree. So I I wouldn't dismiss that claim altogether. It would be interesting to see what, but um, to be fair, everyone at the time was desperate for some sort of holding defensive midfielder to come in. So and they signed one of the best in the country. You can't find hard to argue with that. There we have it. Then on to our final unpopular opinion. Then and it is that Alan Shearer should not have taken up the job in the season that Newcastle United were relegated um, in 2009. Now, obviously, he came in on April the 1st of that year and it didn't quite go to plan. 
Uh, Stu, your view on, on firstly, you know, Shearer's appointment in April 2009 and whether he was the right man to attempt to save Newcastle from relegation? Uh, it's a difficult one, I think, with hindsight. Obviously, clearly didn't work out. Um, <clears throat> they didn't win too many games. Um, but as Shearer often showed as a player, when the, his, his club... He likes to think of Newcastle as his club, you know, which it is. Came calling in their hour of need. He answered it, um, and I'm not sure if he would, why he would change that opinion now. You know, he he did what he felt was the right thing at the time. Obviously, could Newcastle have gone for someone more experienced? Well, this was a club who just had Joe Kinnear as manager, and it was falling apart very, very quickly. Um, so they needed to act and they needed to do something. Turn to the local hero, and. Why not? How how could he how could he say no to that really? Um, it's like when they brought Keegan back in. That could, as we discussed last week, that could have gone really terribly for the club. It didn't. It worked out. He had a bit more time. Um, but again, Shearer had very little time to do anything. He had less games than than Rafa Benitez has as manager, as far as, as if I remember rightly. I've when got, he um, I've got them up here, and he he won one game. Um, that was against Middlesbrough, which was a fantastic game to be at. Um, and then we were talking about April the 1st. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games, if my math serves me correctly. And in that time, he got, like we say, two draws and one win. Yeah, which isn't great. Um, but, I mean, you know, it, it's, I don't think anyone remembers Shearer for that, really. He's he, someone who came along to a, a, a team which clearly wasn't good enough and surely wasn't working as it should be um, for a number of reasons, not, none of which were Shearer's fault. Try to galvanise the uh, the dressing room. Had some difficult games. I think that to go to Liverpool away is, is one of them. Um, very unlucky against Fulham. Had a perfectly good goal ruled out against Fulham, which which could have won the game for them. Um, several of his best players missing for whatever reason. He, he couldn't recall him off Viduka very often. Obviously, we all know the Michael Owen saga. Then go back into that again. Um, and it's no time at all, is it, to turn something around? I mean, he had literally a matter of weeks. Um, and of course, let's not forget they, they were one game away from from staying up as well. Um, that as you say, that cracking game against Middlesbrough. I thought a lot, a lot of people thought that was it. They'd done enough. They got that win that they needed. Um, I mean, obviously, it's 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 not <laughs> by no means a highlight this year's time, but I mean, it's it's not someone anyone remembers him for. Would he do it again? I don't know. We'd have to ask him, wouldn't we? But I, I would imagine when your club calls you in the hour of need, you answer that call, don't you? It's such an interesting opinion there, though, because I, I don't I don't know whether I can understand that. And you're saying, yeah, your your club. But obviously a lot different to when he signed as as a player because Newcastle were going places. Newcastle it was Manchester United versus Newcastle United for the for the title, and they were they, they were going places. Whereas here, it really looked like they were only going one way, one place, and that was the relegation zone. I don't know. Inexperience obviously plays a key part there um, because he obviously hadn't had a managerial job. Uh, maybe a bit of naivety as well. Um, but like you say, you've got the belief in yourself. You want to save your club. It's a difficult one. Um, but and I suppose like, it all comes... If we can flip, on, it, sorry, yeah. flip, flip it the other way, say say that Newcastle they hadn't gone for sure and Newcastle got relegated anyway and then it would come out in the summer that they'd approached him and he turned and he said no. I think that what would people have thought then? Whatever you think of Shearer, he, he, as you say, completely no experience, nothing other than you know knowing the club quite well. He was willing just to to give it a go and and put, you know, his reputation on the line for the club, which you know 
didn't know. I mean, he he he'd done everything for that club. He didn't he didn't know them anything, did he? Um, but he turned up and did it, and I don't think you can argue with that, really. I guess it comes back to the decisions made at board level, doesn't it? Newcastle United should never have been in that um, mess in which they had to go out and approach Shearer. Um, it, it could go back to was Keegan the right appointment, as we discussed last week. Um, whatever you think about that, but it all leads up to all. You have to reflect on, I guess, the whole picture and how Newcastle got to the situation where they thought, okay, we need someone who knows the club inside out, someone who can bring something a bit different, not just maybe experience or what have you, but someone who's got that instant connection. And that's what they went for, wasn't it? They went for that instant spark, that instant buzz, and just hoping that everything clicked together because you had Alan Shearer in the dugout. Yeah, but as you say, it was it was desperation type. But that, you're exactly right. That's what they that's what they were hoping for, and they're hoping the momentum from the stands would would come out the pitch, and it would galvanise some players who perhaps weren't really you know didn't seem up for it. It would get them going and everything. And um, so it was a gamble. I, but you're also 100 percent right that they shouldn't have been in that situation. Should they been they should have been able to go for someone far more experienced. But when they tried to do that before, it ended up with Joe Kinnear, who to be fair had does have the experience, but that backfired massively. So. It was the last throw of the dice. Um, should the club have gone for Shearer? Possibly not. Should Shearer have said no? I, I just can't imagine him saying no. To be honest with you, I, to be honest with you, I, I respect him for for taking on the challenge. Because I mean, if it worked worked out, you would have probably seen a Netflix documentary about it now. So he wanted you know. he wanted to stay in the summer. I remember him. He, he, the irony of him, he was on Football Focus on the, the morning of um, Newcastle's first game in the Championship away at West Brom. Um, and he was asked, so you're not in the dugout today then? And he just hadn't heard back. He said he had plans. He, he'd presented what he wanted to uh, to Mike Ashley and, and just hadn't, he said he hadn't heard back. So, you know, he, he had ambitions to, to, to take the job on after relegation, don't forget. And of course, it's just, that never materialised. I mean, you would also think that those plans um, meant spending a bit of money and they didn't do that. Chris Hutton did a fantastic job on a very low budget um, mainly loan signings and a couple of a freeze. So that was probably the sticking point. And obviously that relationship there between Mike Ashley and Alan Shearer has not been remedied since, has it? No, I don't think that's... He's not going to turn to him again, pretty much other. So, uh, yeah, which is a shame because obviously he's a, he's a club legend, but he's, uh, his statue sits just outside St James's Park, which I think speaks volumes, doesn't it? Well, because we could do with Alan Shearer on the training pitch, potentially giving Joe Linton... A bit of advice, Stu. Then to wrap up, your verdict: Alan Shearer should not have taken the Newcastle United job. It, with hindsight, maybe he has regrets about it, but I, I think how could he? How could he say no? How could he say no? There we are. This has been the second episode of Newcastle United and Popular Opinions. We do hope you're staying safe there um, in what is now a lockdown. Um, we are trying our best to bring you the best coverage some light-hearted moments as well on our website. Um, anything you want us to write about, anything that you want us to do, please get in touch over Twitter or email. In the meantime, this has been Now Thing is Black and White Podcast.